the name above all other names is Jesus. Is it not good to be a part of a worship gathering that proclaims that from the get-go, yes? It is so good to be here again. My name is Previn Vong. For those of you who are still wondering what in the world about this, I'm pastoring during the interim period uh, here, and it is so good to be here with you. This is the second Sunday, and we have prayed a lot before uh, coming here. We prayed a lot also during this week, and the Lord continues to confirm in our hearts that he's going to do great and mighty things in our midst. So uh, if someone want to say hallelujah, that's a good thing, right? God would want to do something in our midst. Let me remind you also that this is actually the last Sunday before Holy Week. Next Sunday, believe it or not, this is crazy. And we're still March. This is like not normal. Well, I guess it is every so many years. Palm Sunday begins Holy Week. I hope we'll pack the church out that you will spend some of your week uh, in this week that is coming now, beginning now, uh, telling people we need to see you here on Sunday, Palm Sunday. Sunday morning, it's going to be very special. We're going to celebrate the triumphal entry of Christ, the promise of his return. Sunday night, very special service. We're going to gather around the cross. We're going to bring things. We're going to get ready for a holy week. And I hope you'll be here. And then, of course, Sunday morning, uh, the following Sunday, Easter morning, we hope to be busting at the seams because no one who calls Jesus Lord will not be eager to proclaim to someone else you know, Christ is risen. We need to be that in church and celebrate that. Yes? I hope that we will have a, just a tremendous and tremendous uh, Holy Week when that comes. And now as we are turning our attention to John chapter 3, as I uh, speak a few words of opening, if you would find that, if you get to the Acts of the Apostles, you're too far, just to back a little bit. If you're still in Luke, just keep going, right? You'll get to John. Uh, chapter 3. I wonder, I wonder if any of you have ever thought about what would be my last sentence. I think most of us probably have not pondered that. It's, it's kind of hard to plan. It, it, things happen in a flash and we don't know what our last sentence would be. But hopefully many of us have considered given some serious thought to how will we be remembered? Because see, that is not just one sentence to be uttered. That will be a summary sentence that speaks to how we have lived our lives. And that actually begins now. What kind of impact will I have? Hopefully all of us are interested in being remembered for something good, even something that is significant. See, John the Baptist left a true legacy. But it actually may be a different one from what we may think just kind of at the outset, the way we have been pre-programmed in many ways through our upbringing and in this Western society of ours. 
See, often when we think of legacy, we think about something that we have done. Something that we have built. Something that people remember us by. Places that put us at the center of the legacy. That's just how we've been taught to think by this culture that surrounds us. We are central, or even better in, in a truly Western society, I am central. You know about the we and I, right? Yes? You know, this old elderly couple comes up to the pastor and say, you know, I'm not really sure there are probably not many Christians that are truly Christians in this church except for my wife and I. And sometimes I wonder about my wife. <laughs> I've called this message getting out of the way. And when we think of that phrase, we may think of something Someone who is blocking the view and if he or she would just get out of the way, we could see better or some car that is stalled and is blocking up traffic and until that gets out of the way, nothing will move. You make your own illustration on that phrase. It can also be used in a more metaphorical or idiomatic type sense. I sometimes stand in my own way. Or if I could just get this work out of the way, I'll have time for other things. Maybe even I need to get out of the way and just let things run its own course. Back to John the Baptist. I hope you found chapter three by now. This is a tremendous person. And I hope we can learn from him this morning what a legacy, tremendous ministry, a ministry that he himself has started, grown, and seen come to fruition in many ways. He was so popular that great throngs of people traveled far distances to come and see him and hear him, even prominent folks, all the way to the desert where he had chosen to start a ministry. He was so popular and admired that there were even a number of people who had become his disciples and they followed him everywhere he went. His influence was enormous. Even the king had heard of him as we know from other passages in other gospels. But what about his legacy? Well, that seems to be all but guaranteed, didn't it? You know, who was John the Baptist? He's a fantastic preacher. He even went way out in the desert. People still coming to hear him. Amazing guy. His message was about Christ and the coming of his, uh, about God and the coming of his son, Jesus Christ. That was all he spoke about. The question is, did he truly Believe this or were these just great talking points that were designed to draw crowds who were longing to see a great work of God 
And therefore they thought, here's one who speaks to that. Or was John truly genuine, willing to step aside if what he preached about actually was true? Was he willing to get out of the way and let Jesus be truly the only thing that mattered? See, it's one thing to talk about Jesus and to say, I want to follow him, to call him Lord of your life. It's quite a different thing to actually get out of the way and let all praise flow to him. John's test was soon to come. His own disciples came to him and said, Everyone, John, are you not worried? Everyone is now going to hear this Jesus you've been talking about instead of coming to you. How did John take that? Let's read the text. John chapter 3, verse 25. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial cleansing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man was with you on the other side of Jordan, the one that you had testified about. Well, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. John replied, a man can receive only what he has given to him from heaven. You yourself can testify that I said, I'm not the Christ, but I'm sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. He must become greater and I must become less. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. The man who has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the Spirit without limit. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. He shall Become greater, I shall or must become less. That is the last word that the Apostle John quotes from John the Baptizer's lips. Words that underscores that this man is who he says he is. 
when the situation arose where he would be tested, when difficulties would come his way and actually test if what he had been saying about his relationship to Jesus was true, he shined as genuine. He didn't just speak cheap words. He lived the life that modeled what he said he believed. Let me ask you, how does this strike you? How does this strike you? He had given everything. His life has been about his ministry. This was his job. This was his work. This is what he did. This was who he was. Everything surrounded or everything was pointing to that. Just imagine. Just imagine. From the very earliest childhood years. Everything. He spent his life building this. Everything he's gone through, living in the desert, clothed, weird, and everybody at some time would look at him and say, what kind of wacko is this? Yes? I mean, this was not kind of the most cool guy you ever saw, but the power of God that works through him, he has stayed faithful. And now, in the midst of having seen, I spent my life, this is my life work, and now someone is just coming and taking it away. I know I've been speaking about that, but don't dare to ever think that just because you've spoken about something that this does not make it difficult to just step away and say, okay, yes? This is not about me. I need to get out of the way. This is actually about Jesus. Christ shall become greater. Doesn't matter what I become. Just think about this for a moment. Don't hear this as just a Bible story. Hear this as God speaking to you and to your commitment to Christ. What about your status? We begin right here at church. Your status in the church. You've been there a long time. You know things. People listen to you. What about status in your workplace? People look up to you. You've kind of spent a long time getting people to listen to what you're saying. What about status in your neighborhood? Maybe even in the city. Among friends. Wherever you go and wherever you spent time, what about that? Can you say, He must become greater? That's what matters. What happens to me is not significant. You know, I, a cocker, some of you car nuts will know who he is, right? And some of you who are into business and been there for a while will know that too. 
he was the guy who gave us Ford Mustang, yes, when he was president of Ford, and, and later on the, the minivan when he was kind of saving Chrysler Corporation from bankruptcy. He wrote an article way back that I happened to kind of run across uh, also back in, yeah, years, um, where he says, I have one ambition, and that is that we become the best. And I thought that was an astounding remark. Even then, when I was just a teenager, what an astounding remark to say. But it made me think, can I say I have one ambition? And that is that Christ may become great. One ambition. Notice how John says that. The same words, I have one ambition, he puts it a little bit different, but this is the setting he is in, and I already pointed to it, that he had just done all this, and now his disciples are coming and telling him that people are no longer coming to him, they're going someplace else. They were not polite, they were not saying, John, you know, this other guy that you've been talking about, he's attracting people too. That's not what he said. He's not saying, you know, he's always becoming as well known and as big as you are. That's not what he said either. He said, everyone is going to hear him. That is, those who used to come to listen to you, John, don't come to you anymore. They're over there. Does that almost sound like you don't count anymore, doesn't it? And John says, that's great. Now my joy is complete because the whole thing has been about making him greater and I'm glad to become less. That's not an easy statement, but it's a necessary statement to truly experience the fullness of the Christian life. It's about Jesus. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about him. I'm not saying anything we have not heard before. But boy, to look at someone like John and see someone truly live that out is a powerful thing. I need to get out of the way so people can see him. Verse 29, the latter part of that is just astounding to me again when you look back in your Bible. He said, that kind of joy is mine and it is now complete. You know, there's no rationalization here from John that he's just rationalizing. Well, you know, I've been in this for quite a while. It's probably a time for me to, to kind of just to slow up a bit. And I'm glad, you know, he can take some of that mantle. It's none of that. It's simply about John realizing what is happening. And he says, now my joy is complete. 
It's like someone has been praying for revival for a really long time and then suddenly it comes. It may look differently than what we expected, but when it comes, there's one reaction that is as long as Christ becomes greater, my joy is complete. I want you to check your hearts on this point. I know I had to as I was reading through this text many times this week. It is that kind of joy that gives new power to churches. And you're in this transition period as I have spoken about before. This is God's bridge to the future. He wants to see his people empowered and the kind of joy that finds fullness and completion when Christ becomes greater, we'll find new power. It's that kind of deep felt joy that fans into flame, if you will, who re-empowers your testimony in the workplace, among friends, wherever you are. It's this kind of a big-hearted joy that gets rid of all the pettiness that leads us into discussions we should never have started in the first place. It is this kind of joy that God can use to shape us and move us so that we, like John the Baptist, could say, he must become greater. Is that how you feel in the depths of your soul? I almost would bet that all of you are thinking, oh yeah it is. Because that's the right thing to say, yes? It's like when you're in church, the answer is always Jesus, right? Whatever they ask, just say Jesus. But it's not always that easy. I was in a church and the Lord blessed with rapid fire growth. A lot of people have been praying for revival for years and years. And when it came, it looked quite a bit different. Drug addicts came to Christ, broken homes, difficult situations were healed. Christ reached down, took people out of the gutter and into the church. And things were, were just messed up and they became great. The atheists found the Lord. Everything was great. And some would pray for revival for a long time. Suddenly said, I used to know everybody. I don't anymore. I used to know everything that goes on in the church. There are so many people now, I don't know them. I don't know what half the stuff that's going on in church. And suddenly, the test came. Is it about making Jesus great? And us to get out of the way. The words are easy to speak, but God, when he blesses, that's the test point. That's what we want to see. Emotionally, deep down in our gut, that is how we need to wake up and feel. So the question is, how was it possible 
for God to create such a personality in John. Where did John find that kind of power? Well, let me see if we can find some lessons from the text also to speak to this. The first point I'm going to make on this is to point it to Jesus begins with genuine conversion. Genuine conversion. This is so basic that it seems almost superfluous to even mention it, and yet it's so foundational that if you have not completely and totally grasped the depth of this, we'll lose out on what it means to truly be a follower of Jesus Christ. See, if John had just said, you know, I've grown up right. My mom and dad taught me right from the early years. I knew what I was going to do. I was very careful. I was very diligent. I spent all my time preparing that. I kept all the rules that was given to me from the Old Testament, all the directions for how I was going to come to the spot where I am now. I have earned this. This is what I have done. If that had been the case, he would never, ever have been able to say, he must be greater and I must be lesser. To the contrary, what happened was that he was able to see I am everything I am, every breath that I take, every word that I speak, all of that is given to me by God. In spite of who I am, God's amazing grace has given me everything, even my very existence. You see, conversion requires a transformation of mind. And I think that is so very difficult that we change the very way in which we think. Not only about things, but about who we are, who you are, and who God is. That's coming. I transform the thinking into a different way of putting everything together. As I read God's story from Genesis to Revelation, there is a story and it is that story, not any other story, but that story that puts my life together. Are we getting this? That's the story that provides the worldview, the lenses through which I understand everything that happens in my life, that happens around me. It is God's story. And that is why Fanny Crosby sings, that is my story. This is my song, not a story, not a song, but my story and my song. That, my friend, is true, genuine conversion, that we think differently. Whatever the culture around us may have taught us over these years, if it doesn't square with what the story of God tells us, we need to convert and understand the story that drives me, that helps me put two and two together to make it four in the God sense of four, if that makes any sense to even say it that way. That's the story that matters. 
See, when that happens, it'll radically change even the way you experience life and surrounding. That will make a difference on how you determine what is important, what is not important, where your time is spent, where your money is spent, where your mouth is speaking, what your mouth is speaking, how you model who God is. Genuine, thoroughgoing, transformation of mind, what we call conversion, begins or stands in front of our ability to truly point to Jesus. Let me say one little thing more. Pointing to Jesus required genuine commitment. Or if you prefer surrender, dedication. The New Testament just does not know of people who are turning to Christ and who say they'll be followers of Christ and then they say, well, I'm going to give about 50% of my life to Jesus. You know, when people that are willing to compromise following Jesus are mentioned in Scripture, they are like a side remark, like a Demas who left me for the love of this world, and that's it. That's the abnormal situation. The normal situation is for people to surrender completely. See, John died the way he lived as a living testimony to the Lord that he had decided to follow. From the other gospels, we know that he was put in jail and finally decapitated because he would not compromise speaking the word of God. You know, we all influence, and I know that, by whatever surrounds us. We spend far more time being pre-programmed by various kinds of TV stories and Hollywood this, that, and the other, whatever it may be, that we spend our time watching and looking and reading and hearing and all that. Then we get impacted by God's word. And we become twisted somewhat. And it's not one or two, it's just all we are. That's why we need to look at people like John the Baptist. I, I was on an airplane not too long ago, <clears throat> well, a few years ago, where I met uh, this in the worst kind of way I've ever heard it, maybe. So I sit down, and you know, if you want to just read and be alone. People say hello and you say hello and you talk for a few minutes just to be kind. And they keep talking. You just say, what do you do? And they will tell what they're doing, the engineering, whatever they're doing. And then say, what, what do you do? I'm a pastor. That, that shuts them up just right there. <laughs> I mean, just like that. <laughs> and so that's what happened to to this lady as well. She, you know, said, oh, oh, you know, we have a really good relationship with the church. She said, oh, really? That's nice. Uh, in fact, uh, we kind of know the pastor a little bit. Our son had a class or two with him at college. 
Oh, nice. So where do you go to church? Say, well, well, we don't really go to church. But what is the church? Well, I, I forgot the, the name of it. We've actually only been there once or twice when, when they had this amazing kind of concert. Uh, but, but we feel we have a good relationship. We're not against it. That's their definition of soothing a pastor's inquiry. The personality of John the Baptist was developed into a useful forerunner, if you will, for Christ, someone pointing to Christ because he was able to think more about what God has done and what God was about doing than about himself. I'm willing to step out of the way and just be the one who follows Jesus Christ as a disciple. The more you think of God and fitting into his story and understanding your life in light of his story, the more you'll see that your personality will be shaped the way God shaped John's. See, from his personality that is bent that way flows a life that doesn't count the hours that it is serving Jesus and his church. A life that counts and that makes a difference is looking to what God can do, not what I'm willing to spend time doing. I may even say it's stronger than that, more memorable maybe even than that. A life that counts does not count how much it costs. A life that counts does not count how much it costs. It's a life that tries to get out of the way and just point to Jesus all the time. I guess I could end this by simply asking, do you want to be a forerunner for Christ? Father, we ask on this very last Sunday before Holy Week, that you use even this to shape us, to move us, to strengthen us, to call us to a greater commitment. Father, to allow us to see what you can do, even in our lives as individuals and as the First Baptist Church of Nacogdoches. Father, I know, I know you must have spoken to some like you spoke to me about this text. Give us now the boldness, Father, to step out and come and surrender. Tell you from the depth of our hearts, we want you to be greater. Father, work that in us in the strongest of ways. Amen. We'll stand and we'll sing a song, invitation.
Some of you may want to come and just kneel right here. Some of you may want to grab a friend. If you want to find a place to join and join hands with other Christians, this is a good place. However God speaks to you, prepare. We're coming to Holy Week to celebrate that he is worthy of everything we're talking about. Thank you.